0: Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her League of Extraordinary Women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Black Women Amplified podcast. I have a special guest for you today. And before we get into that, I want to give a special dedication to my cousin who transitioned yesterday morning. And if you, you've heard me talk about her several times, so I just wanted to tell you all about this. Um, she was my Angela's best friend, They lived in Africa together, and her work with W.E.B. Du Bois and Malcolm X is legendary. So she was a huge champion for Black women and a big part of why I do what I do. So I wanted to make sure that I gave her a special lift up and a special greeting to the ancestral world, which is where she is now. So let's get into this conversation with this dynamic woman that is with us today. Two-time author Jane Allen is a Harvard Law grad, a popular speaker, and an experienced business executive. She is a serial entrepreneur and has launched many brands, including a beauty brand on QVC. She is also an accomplished strategist and attorney for global superstars, including Lady Gaga and My Forever Favorite Prince. With her vast experience in the executive and entrepreneurial world, this multifaceted powerhouse embarked on a new adventure as a published author. But when the gatekeepers told her no to her writing, her concepts, and her characters, Jane Allen said yes to herself. She published her first novels, Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. Building a winning community led her to an impressive four book deal with the legendary Harper Collins Publishing House through their imprint, Harper Perennial. This deal included her latest novel and second to the trilogy, Black Girls Must Be Magic. How is that for an Amplified Black woman? I could go through all of her many accomplishments and accolades, but I'm sure you would rather hear it from her. So let's give us our special guest and new super friend a Black Women Amplified welcome. Good day phenomenal woman,
1: Jane Allen. How are you? I I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that incredible introduction. <laughs> and, yes. and my condolences also uh, for your loss, your family oh, member. Thank you. Um, sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she is. And uh, so are
0: you. And she's one of the people who just a little bit about her. She was an expat and she went to, when we were going through Jim Crow, she moved to Ghana and built a life there. And that's where she met Maya Angelou and her journey into all that she did began. And just like her, you are a very adventurous, multifaceted woman. <laughs> it, when I was writing your intro, I was like, what do I put in it and what do I leave out? I don't. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so many different directions, but aren't we, as Black women, ones who do all the things?
1: We Well, hopefully we do. I, you know, that's kind of the, the call to adventure that I hope is kind of the undercurrent of what I write is that, you know, we, we deserve the fullness of life as well, you know, beyond just surviving and, you know, what does thriving look like? So I, I hope we spend our time answering that question. Most definitely. Before we get into all of that,
0: we've been through a, and we're going through a pandemic. So I just wanted to know, how has the last couple of years impacted you and inspired you?
1: Well, I think that's a really good way of phrasing that because it has absolutely been both. And when the pandemic started, I I was in the self-published phase of Black girls must have exhausted and things had started to really build. And I was beginning to have speaking engagements that were in person before this. And they wound up having to be canceled because Mm -hmm. of obviously the severity of the pandemic. And what that did for me was it inspired me to try to find another way to connect with readers. And so I decided I would meet with book clubs and I would connect with readers online, which I might not have been so actively focused on that if we hadn't had the pandemic, but since we were all at home and it was just something that helped me feel connected and I, it was really enjoyable and I just loved getting to know readers and hearing about their perspectives from the book. And it really started to build a community around the book and, and, uh, connecting readers to each other around the concepts of the book. So that was definitely something that was inspirational and ultimately led to me meeting my agent and leading to the the book deal that happened. What I've also learned is that uh, making new connections and building community is something that you really have to be deliberate about. It's, it's a practice and, you know, making new connections Reigniting connections that have been lost in the course of the pandemic, because what it's really done is taken us out of community. And that's something that we all really do need. And I think we're probably starting to think about mm-hmm. and talk about that now more as this has been progressing. Right. So it's really shown, forced me to build a practice around staying connected to people and staying connected to. Uh, the community that that sustains me and keeps keeps my energy going. So it, it's been challenging. It's absolutely been rough. And it's made me also have to be very aware of mental health and, and making that a practice also to make sure that that part of me is cared for. And I have to be the one responsible for it. So let's unpack that a little bit.
0: When in building community, how did you begin that process and how did you stay focused on that process? Because I know it can be a daunting experience for many. And with you having so much experience in many different areas, I know that you've had to work on building communities for other people. How did you go about building it for yourself?
1: I it started for me, I think, with a genuine interest in wanting to connect with people. And I do think that community starts that way. You know, there it has there has to be some kind of genuine interest and desire to connect and a, a genuine passion around the core subject matter, whatever it is. And for me, beyond just what I've been writing, what I'm writing about is the process of finding authenticity, finding one's voice, finding the courage to Live on your own terms as a woman, and and doing that through the the journey of black women, because the societal constraints that we live under are are particular. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of policing of of black women's bodies, appearances. You know, there's there's a lot of context and uh, stigma around certain things that we do or that are part of the human experience, but just because it's through our vessel, you know, because it's, it's shaped or shows up at how we show up for some reason, it's vilified, <laughs> you know, something, then mm-hmm. there's something becomes wrong with right. society, stand, societal standards. So we're not in position. It's really a battle to just live, you know, and, and mm-hmm. to just be. And so I, I wanted to, to make this a celebration uh, and an acknowledgement of who we are, in spite of, and really amplify that, and uh, and help people celebrate themselves and each other in that regard, and and expand that beyond just Black women. But you, but making our story um, something that is valuable for everybody to learn from, and, and really centering our humanity. So that was really something that was important to me personally. And I found, I believe that other people would feel similarly, mm-hmm. even if they weren't black, that just, yes, there's, there's something you learned in life from black woman's particular journey and experience. Right. And if we center that humanity, we can all go along with this journey and learn the lessons alongside this person. And then just a genuine love of reading and books. Uh, it, it was something that, that, You know, my my main platform is is Instagram and there's a community there. So it's just participating in those conversations, facilitating conversations, Mm -hmm. being present for conversations. That has been the starting point alongside that the genuine desire and uh, to connect and and having an authentic passion around the subject. Um, That's that's amazing. We talk a lot here
0: about. Self acceptance. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the theme of the book, Black Girls Must Be Magic, there was a lot of conversation about your main character, your protagonist, Tabitha, accepting herself from Mm -hmm. her hair to, I don't want to give away the book, I want people to read it. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems that there was this consistent theme about different situations where she had to reckon with herself about where she wanted to go in her life. I'll just put it that way. And I just wanted to ask a personal question. Like, what does this conversation
1: sound like for you in your own life around self-acceptance? I think it's a, a continual journey. And I will say with, you know, Tabby, one of the things in writing this book for me that was an important um inspiration in a sense, is when I would see representation of Black women, a lot of times in contemporary fiction, and this is not all books, but just for what I was seeing and experiencing, a lot of times you'd see the external representation, the indicators to let the reader know, oh, this is a Black woman, like, oh, just crinkly hair or, you know, a spunky attitude. And that was just these sort of superficial markers that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really didn't give any indication of the individual or the individual's journey. Just for example, if a if a woman has crinkly hair, a black woman has crinkly hair and she has that in her workspace, right. there's a whole story there about how did she get to that place? Because in society, if you take into account the societal layers, we're told that our natural hair texture and we've been told that is unprofessional. Right. And we're we're pressured and conditioned through media and uh, beauty standards, you know they're evolving, but historically, up to this point, that our crinkly hair or hair texture, you know, our styles are not the, the beauty standard, and they're not the standard professionalism. So, if a, a black woman shows up crinkly hair in a workplace, there is a whole journey. There's a whole story there, you know, mm-hmm. an epic story about how she came to that place. If that's what. She- she wanted to do because, you know, she's had to fight through those layers. So in writing this and writing the story, I wanted to show that I wanted to show the personal journey and the personal courage and fight for authenticity that that really is, which is significant if you really are you know, paying attention to it and you're really acknowledging it. So at the time that I wrote it, I hadn't even gone on that journey myself. I had never worn my natural hair texture to work. And not even saying that you need to or or don't. It's all a personal decision. You can be who you want to be, do what you do. But for me, it, in part, it was because I did not feel like that was my best self. And so, I this journey really encouraged me to challenge that within myself and to create a space where I could love myself mm-hmm. as I am. Just to to. Just find the courage to show up authentically is, you know, embrace my hair texture. Not that I always have to wear my hair in that way, but just that I can if I want to and feel comfortable and confident doing that. Mm -hmm. It has and I in the process of this book, I did decide to do that. And it was a journey. It was. A little bit harrowing to show up at work <laughs> for the first time, you know, and like, uh oh, how is this gonna go? Right. And, you know, I posted about it on Instagram. Like, this is the very first day yeah. I have a picture of it. But the very first day I've shown up with my natural hair, you know, at work, and just I'll remember that day, you know, and how I felt, look, you know, gauging people's reactions and feeling very, you know, tenuous about every moment and every meeting. Until you know, years later, now I'm comfortable in this space. I'm comfortable as myself. I can love myself this way. I like myself this way. I've learned to, and I realized it. It was a practice. So the book this it's been a journey for me as well, and um, just of a reminder, you know, that my that the journey of authenticity is important. Thriving is important, uh, and and that courage. You shouldn't go uncelebrated.
0: And also the courage to show your full self. Yes. Instead of the persona that we create to one, to protect ourselves and two, to be accepted by society. So the idea that this is who I am, that's a big leap for black women. Um, I even find it in myself. It's like, Okay, who am I going to be today when I walk into this space or this space? And Mm -hmm. we talk about code switching. And I'm really astounded that we even have to pass a law that allows Black women to keep their hair, wear their hair texture to work without getting uh, repercussions or getting fired. The Crown Act, the first time I heard it, I literally
1: cried. I'm like, are
0: you serious?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think it's only been passed in 11 um, states, mm-hmm. I, I believe, are su- or an equivalent uh, protection, and the afro has been protected for a while. But it's other protective styles that have not been dreads, uh, braids, you know, other styles. And I think there's a period in the news where you're seeing that people are being, you know, girls were being sent home from school for wearing their hair in braids, or you know, a, a player had to cut their dreads. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's just it's 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 a painful thing to see. And to realize that you know in this year 2022, you know we're still fighting this very basic battle, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: and to just even acknowledge the weight of something like that on a person, it's not like we're you know somebody saying oh you're gonna go do something outer worldly (laughs) with (laughs) your hair, you know you're not using a bunch of shellac and, and props. It's literally doing something with your hair that is natural to that texture, that's protective and healthy for that particular texture. And then as a human being, being told that something is faulty or defective about that natural state, that is, there is a weight to that, that as a people, I think we've been conditioned just to, you know, kind of grin and bear it and, and move through it. And, and that strength is, you know, in within the community to just push through it. But it's not it's it's not something that should go unacknowledged. And there's and we need to start, you know, thinking about what kind of self-care practice mm-hmm. <laughs> is going to counteract yes. that and get to the point where we can say enough. You know, this is this we shouldn't have to bear this and we don't want to. So that's the, you know, I, there's progress that's happening, but I think we're still in the awareness point and we're still in that space of giving ourselves permission to just say, Hey, hold up. This isn't, this isn't right. And on a human level, this is unfair to me. Yeah. So, and it's not okay. Right. And it's not Okay.
0: And it's not okay. And we have to realize that it's not okay every time we look in the mirror and that it is okay to be ourselves yes. wherever we are. And we deserve to be in all the spaces as we are. Yes. Another yes. theme of the book, uh, a challenge that that is just bubbling up to the surface is the infertility issues of Black women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I saw Kamala Harris- our Black female vice president bring that conversation to the White House. I was just yes. like my jaw dropped. I could I had to watch it a couple of times for it to, to absorb what was what I was seeing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um because it, this is something we talk about in secret.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I noticed, of course, when you start the book, you jump right into the conversation.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I didn't read the first book, but I I know that that's a part of the conversation in the first book as well. But you jumped right into the conversation and the conversation is so detailed that I learned a lot about the problem because my journey to motherhood was I chose not to be a mother. So Mm -hmm. I never had to deal with those issues, but I learned so much in the first few chapters about uh tab of this journey and then we get to the plot twist Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I put the, i turned it off and i was like now that's a plot twist
1: <laughs> i know when i wrote that i was like readers are gonna have something to say about this but <laughs> listen it, you it have fun. to read it to hear the
0: plot twist but Her journey um, was so detailed. Is this something that is personal to your life or is it just something that you wanted to talk about?
1: It's personal, it became personal to me. So I uh, dealt with fibroids and didn't really understand the impact of fibroids because the way that, uh, and fibroids disproportionately affect black women when they still don't know why. And there's not very much research. People don't even know where they come from or anything really about, uh, about fibers, but they do affect fertility in a significant way. And in my, I've not been married, I've dated, but not gotten married and have not really focused on family plans in my thirties. So I got to my late thirties and decided to have to preserve the options, you know, that I may want to take advantage of. I need to at least freeze my eggs. Mm-hmm. So in that process, I had to learn quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> uh, about which nobody ever talked about this. With me, it never been any conversations with my friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends were still single at that time, also, and never gotten married. Some had, some hadn't, but still, we hadn't talked about it. It was not a topic of conversation. But once I got into that space of you know, needing to freeze my eggs and trying to learning how expensive it was learning that all clinics are not created equal in that regard, learning that it's better to freeze your eggs when you're in your late twenties, you know, early thirties, the younger, the better, but the, the, you know, and it's not covered by insurance, just all of those things. Mm -hmm. I wish that it had just been a conversation where regardless of what you decide you want to do, Information is power. You know this mm-hmm. whole issue, this topic of reproductive health, fertility, infertility, is really a war of information and time at this point, and advocacy. And up to this point, as Black women, there's this myth of hyperfertility. You know, you we hear, oh well, the whole focus is, well, don't get pregnant. You know, and because the assumption is it's so easy <laughs> for for us, or would mm-hmm. be, or will always be. And so this topic needs to be discussed. And it, but, you know, it's just starting to come to the forefront. So when I thought about this story and, and my experience, I decided to write what I wish I had. Because when I went to look for topics around this about, you know, what my options could be and, and the information about it, there was almost nothing in fiction. nothing, Almost nothing. And so little in the nonfiction space. And I'm talking from documentaries to books, to <laughs> articles, to personal accounts. I mean, I really, really took a deep dive. And, and, and so the research was already done for this on a personal level for me. And I wanted to put that somewhere so that it could help other people. Because I realized that it's just not enough information, at least if the topic is presented in this story it can start conversations and, and give permission in spaces that maybe this wouldn't have been discussed before. So that was, that was something that I was hoping, you know, could be served by this book and, and Tabby's story. Well, you definitely got it right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I said,
0: this is very academic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this section right here should be taught in schools. Like that should be a part <laughs> of sex education. I was like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And right. (laughs) Yes. And how how do we normalize this conversation? I remember as a young girl, I'm generation X. So as a young girl, uh, the conversation around our periods was a non-conversation. I mean, I remember the conversation with my mother, and it was just like, looking back, I was like, that was a horrible conversation. (laughs) Right. And we called it everything but what it was. It was Mm -hmm. not flow, or it was, we have companies in town, or it was everything. Time of the month. Time of the month. Or the curse, people call it. Oh, the curse. Yes. (sighs) Let's let's not even dig into that part of it. I know. (laughs) But how do we normalize the conversation? Because now we're just, we just say it. You know, I'm on my period or I'm on a cycle or I, I'm not good right now. Um, mm. I, need my, I need my power kits, <laughs> mm. and I'll be in bed. Mm. Even men are understanding it now. That's how normal the conversation around our cycle is. How do we normalize the same conversation about the journey of motherhood, pregnancy, infertility, and even the conversation of uh, medical racism? How do we bring that into like everyday conversation?
1: I think it starts with stories. yeah, I, I think it starts with story, with sharing stories, with giving you know something like this where it's it doesn't have to touch on any particular person personally, <laughs> so that that personal privacy risk is not there, although I don't mind sharing my story. But there's, but Tabitha, I'm always like, I'm so thankful to Tabitha as a character because I'm able to put her in position and just put her out there. And she's, she does for us what, you know, we need somebody to do for us, which is just be vulnerable and candid and put it all out there in that way and sharing in and- her, her life in that way. And, and sometimes I'm like, Oh, sorry, girl. When I'm throwing, you know, <laughs> plot twists at her, I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Cause I really do like you, but you know, I, I we need the story to go here. So, but, um, but I think it starts with, with that, with sharing stories and I've seen in reading groups and book clubs, discussion groups, women in reading this story, they get into the space of starting to share themselves. And I remember one one group, one woman shared that uh, she's dealing with, I I, I believe it was PCOS or it it was something like that. I I think it was PCOS, but she had never voiced that out loud and Mm -hmm. never shared that with anyone. And she said, well, no one had ever shared it with me. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had the safe space or the space to share what I've been going through. And she literally broke down in tears just to be able to have that moment of being in community and everybody supported. And then other people started to share. And it's just that, that something, you know, having a story that can inspire sharing of other stories. And I think it starts there and then people begin to normalize that conversation. And it doesn't seem to be something because I, I've had I've talked to people about it when I'm, people ask me, you know, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm an author. What's your book about? And I talk about, you know, Tabby and Tabby's journey. She's dealing with an infertility issue, a crisis that sets off the story and kind of unravels her seemingly perfect life. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm in a very deep conversation with a stranger who will share with me, this has happened, you know, multiple times that they're dealing with an infertility issue and they've never seen it in fiction before, mm-hmm. you know, but, and the, and to feel less alone is something in and of itself. So I hope that people start to feel more comfortable sharing their own stories, and that uh, and sharing information because that's also part of it. Every doctor is not not equal in this journey. Every you know clinic's not equal. So we we just really need to be talking about it. We really need to be sharing information, and uh, and we really need to have community where we can find support, you know, with other people in the journey so that we know we're not alone.
0: How can, and I want you to put your legal hat on for me. (laughs) (laughs) How can we be better advocates for ourselves within the medical system? Because the one thing we was highlighted in the pandemic is that is definitely not equal for black people and others. Mm -hmm. So how do we advocate for ourselves?
1: Well, I don't even know if that requires a legal hat, but I will say uh, that studies are now starting to show that the experience of, of Blackness, this societal experience of Blackness, actually cre- creates stress and physical considerations that are unfairly borne by Black people. We're just starting to say that. You know, it's like, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a surprise? Okay. You could have just asked me, hello uh, black lady. <laughs> I, I know, but but it's a, but it's about the validation of our experience and I think realizing yes somebody could ask you but would they believe it? And will they believe you? And will they believe what you're saying? And I, that's a lot of what we hear and we've heard about the you know, outcomes uh, unfortunate outcomes in medicine where people I think Serena Williams was say uh, you know yes. saying even for her, she went in and said, look, I know something's wrong. I know something's wrong. And it's discounted our, our personal accounts of pain our you know, personal accounts of, of what's going on in our bodies are just not believed. And so having someone uh, to help advocate for, for us, like that's why in the story it was important for Tabby to have a doula. And I wanted to show that experience. So Tabby, as a, you know, I'm giving her that (laughs) I'm assuming that I'm projecting that onto her as a character, but assuming that she would afford herself of what would be uh, the most likely resources for a healthy outcome for. And one of those things is having a doula who amplifies, whose part of that role is to amplify the voice of the mother and the mother's wishes in that journey and whatever, you know, she, the journey of pregnancy to have the most healthful journey and the journey that she wishes to have herself. So sometimes it's about having amplification there and affording yourself of that resource. And there's community resources for doulas and people are experiencing you know pregnancy, but also uh, knowing that you can vote with your feet too. When you, mm. if you're in a, in a, in a practitioner and they don't acknowledge your you know, you or what you're saying, or they're steamrolling you, that's not normal. <laughs> you know, I think we are conditioned to believe, okay, well, the doctor knows best. And so I'm, I'm willing to show up here and be steamrolled. No, you have your choice. You can go to a different practitioner. And so that's sort of a personal responsibility and, and something to internalize that you have the right to advocate for yourself. You have the ability to make a different choice of a doctor or practitioner, you should be heard. So it's also about setting a different standard of expectation within our community of what the quality of care should be.
0: 100%. I love everything that you just said, because now people are talking about their experiences with doctors, no shade on doctors, but mm. there's a practice and, it, and it's historic that they don't believe that Black women feel pain the same way that other women uh-huh. feel. And the fact that they tested our bodies without anesthesia just to develop modern medicine. Uh-huh. Um, it's that that institutionalized racism is deep within the medical field, just like it is everywhere else. Uh-huh. And I think just like you said, we we have to be able to, get up and leave (laughs) (laughs) and find somebody we have to have the courage and the Mm -hmm. insight to get up and leave and move on to the next doctor who will be there for us and our child and I love in this book that you talked about doulas Mm -hmm. because that midwifing is an ancient yes (laughs) around the world and I remember a friend of mine went to Belgium she's she's from born in Belgium but she lived in America and I met her I went over there when she had her baby there. And I'm saying this because I want American women to know that this is not normal. In Belgium, Mm -hmm. they were allowed to stay in the hospital for a month if they chose. Mm -hmm. They had an assistant and they had a doula that would be with them for the full 30 days, either at the hospital or in their home. So it was already built into the hospital system. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to have a beautiful birthing experience with her first child. And it was incredible for her. She was like, if I ever have a baby again, I'm going back to Belgium.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, it sounds like if I, yeah, that sounds like. I'm like, I guess we're all right. I know. Okay. Yeah.
0: But I think another way to advocate is to make sure that you do have a doula, somebody there with you Mm
1: -hmm. to help
0: you through one, the whole process of pregnancy and two, to make sure that you have, you're able to ask the right questions. So I love that that conversation is in this book because I got excited <laughs> because that's, that's another thing that people just, you know, whisper among each other. Right. But we need to make it a big loud noise that these are options for us to have beautiful pregnancies. So let's talk about the book because not only was Tabitha having a baby, but there's a man named Mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 There's a man named Mark that she don't want to give too much, but it was, it's an interesting dynamic to see how the two of them relate. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in the book that is so tender between the two of them towards the end of the book that I was just like, wait a minute, were you like the rest of us watching Bridgerton on Netflix? Because of, oh, of course I watched
1: Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so tender and so beautifully written. I was just like, I want more of this, <laughs> you know, I need your next book to be a romance, a romance novel, because it was so beautifully written and it was to see the inner thoughts of a black man was just so beautiful because it's something that we see, you know, with our guys, but it's not a conversation in society.
1: Yeah. I, well, I I really love the relationship between Tabitha and Mark. And in the first book, I didn't know where it was going to go. And it's still evolving. But the way that I wanted to think about this was that here are these two people who have their own issues. And in the beginning of the story, in the first book, before Tabitha's life starts to unravel, it's fine. They're perfect for each other on paper they don't spend that much time together. So there's the ish hasn't hit the fan between them. You know, they're not mm. at the place at the level of depth or complexity where they run into each other's trauma and issues. And when in a lot of relationships and adult relationships and especially with traumatized people, which we are, <laughs> yeah. uh, once the trauma hits, once you hit that place, it become, people become incompatible you know, because it's it's unreal, it's unhealed trauma, it's undealt with. And the way that it's experienced between the two of them is, oh, you're just not the right person for me. And then they give up on each other. And, and it's, sometimes it's just best to separate because there's no way they don't have the tools and there's no way forward. What I wanted to see in this story, and what was interesting to me to write was what about if these two people don't give up on each other, you know, they don't have to, you know, and they and then what does that look like? And so it's a different kind of romance. It's a different kind of space because they, in the first book, you know, they love each other, you know, but they're like kind of playing it at it. You know, There, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, a, a scene unfolding on a stage or something. They're, they're doing the, the, the act of it, but they're not in it and they're not in the space of it. And they're not building that connection so as the story progresses, and even through the, the first book, when they start encountering challenges, and they have every reason to separate, but then they still stay connected in one way or another through, you know, in the, in the first book, of the, when Tabby really goes through it, he still shows up. And so they're actually building a friendship. They're building this relationship. And so in the second book, It becomes something so much deeper than this person is perfect for me on paper, or this is, this is, these are your superficial, your checklist attributes, but this is why I'm in your life. Mm -hmm. And the, and now I'm starting to think about the sacrifices I'm willing to make and the growth that I need to undertake to be not just who I need to be, but who I can, who I need to be to be who you need me to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's this place I don't think we really really get to see very much in relationship and and especially from the perspective of a black man and i wanted to to show that with mark because i think a lot of readers have a very complex relationship with mark (laughs) 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 and don't and especially come in the first book you know he's not the favorite character but you know but he's not i don't write him he's not a villain and it's and and so he's not villainized he's just depicted and but he also is allowed to grow and and, and he's he's working at it. He's trying. So I think his journey is is just as important as everyone else's in the book, including Tabby's. I could definitely see him in, in this book. I
0: do see a lot of growth in, within him and with him as her pregnancy progresses. And it was beautiful to see because it's it's seeing, like I said, the inner workings of a black man's soul, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which was beautiful to see on paper because either they're over-sexualized or they're over-gangsterized. And to see the truth of who they are, I think was just it just humanized them in such a special way. And I really, really appreciate you writing that the way that you did. And I noticed that. Um, Tabby, as you call her, as she's called in the book, she has a lot of boxes that she's kind of breaking through in her her life, as we all do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from her pregnancy to relating to her friends. And one piece that was interesting was the relationship she has with her mother, Mm -hmm. how she, it seems like a very complicated relationship that you touched on. Did you talk about
1: it more in the first book? first book yeah okay so the backstory there and um you kind of have a sense of of why her her mother's the way that she is and, and kind of the issues that she's dealing with so she is a sort of generational representation and then you know she has the parents were divorced you know and the mm-hmm. her father married his mistress so that you find out. You find that out relatively early in the first book, it's not uh, a spoiler, but um, but so you kind of have a sense of of why that relationship is complex, and uh, but her mom is also you know struggling through this, and and because of Tabby's decisions, her mom is being forced to grow as well and make some adjustments, and so that is you know it, it's not the traditional mother daughter relationship, Tabby's closest relationship is really with her grandmother because her mom moved away when she was younger and she's in middle school. So, uh, so yeah, so there's a, there's a complexity there, but there's, there's growth and there, and I think there has to be complexity for there to be growth within the trajectory of the story. So I don't, you're not going to read, you know, if the the relationship was perfect, it'd be kind of a boring book. (laughs) So, (laughs) so so I want to, I want to keep people engaged and, 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 interested in where these characters go so they need to they need to have some room to grow yes
0: (laughs) now I feel like I I have to go back and read the first book because (laughs) this is definitely a full trilogy um I just wanted to also touch on I felt like the conversation with her mom was also Tabby talking to the world about Mm. this is who I am Mm -hmm. Um, because her internal conversation was a conflict of how to tell her mother what was going on and I also felt like it was like telling the world hey I'm a black girl I'm complicated I'm not a monolith and this is who we are so I just felt like there was a dual conversation happening were you aware of
1: that or did you put that in the book or am I just like surprising you with that idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, this is i hadn't really thought about it but i you know when i was writing there's there's a scene in the first book actually where tabby and her grandmother is, is white and she's talking to her grandmother in the first book about um uh they're asking each other what does it feel like to be the race that society has assigned you and it's just it was it was such a big concept that i was thinking i couldn't wait to write the scene and i also was It was the thing, the scene I was most afraid to write because I was like, oh, my gosh, how do I get to this place? But I was I didn't want to internalize the pressure of feeling like because it's such an unusual conversation to have that it needed to be the conversation reflective of every black person and every white person. And I reminded myself it's just these characters. I just have to voice this conversation for these particular two people from their particular perspective. And so I took that pressure off of myself, <laughs> you know, that that wasn't speaking to the world, it, you know, it was, it was a perspective and it just happened to be an under discussed topic. So, you know, it, it was one perspective of many that I hope proliferate, you know, I hope that there are many, many conversations and many different perspectives and many ways that this is voiced Mm-hmm. After, you know, because it should be. And so when it comes to Tabby and, you know, her speaking with her mom and, and finding words to voice those perspectives, I still always write it from you know, what I think is authentic to Tabby. It's just that sometimes maybe these things we don't often voice. And so her words might be, might touch upon some people's unvoiced perspectives.
0: Mm, beautifully said. Beautifully said. You thank were born you. to be a writer.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you didn't know that before, I'm just telling you now, you were born to be a writer. That was beautiful. Like, I want you to write that down and publish it.
1: But oh, it, it was. But thank you.
0: Now, in the continuing the conversation of boxes, you yourself have been in many rooms mm-hmm. and a diverse background. What boxes did you have to break down in your own life? to put yourself in rooms with Lady Gaga and QVC. (laughs) And you know you're going to have to tell me a print story before you get Uh, off this. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And the almighty print, who you said, helped you you develop yourself as an artist. What boxes did you have to break down within yourself?
1: Well, I started out as a lawyer, which is pretty conventional. Mm -hmm. But along the way, deciding... First, okay, I want to go into the music industry, for example, and there's this conventional path that you're told you have to follow with the law, with being an attorney. You go to a firm for two years, and then maybe you can get a job at a record company. And everybody told me that this was the way that it went, but. For me, and my spirit, it just did not feel like that was my path. I did not want to go. I did not want to spend two years in my life somewhere I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be at a law firm doing something I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, I've spent my whole life doing what I don't want to do. You know, I I am a master at delayed gratification. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've studied. <laughs> I eat my vegetables first. I got the good grades. I did everything I was supposed to do. I went, you know, I went to school great schools, I got great grades, and here I am at yeah, you know, this place. And you're telling me I still ha- am not enough to do what I want to do or, or go where I want to go. And and so I just had my enough moment at that point. You know, I'm like I've made it all the way to Harvard Law School and you're telling me I still have to do this mm. other. St- and I'm like enough. No, I'm not doing that. And so I I uh I remember when it was my second year of law school and 9-11 had happened beginning in my second year, but I found myself in a moment just on my sofa in my living room Mm -hmm. and thinking forward about, I was thinking about life in general. I was thinking forward about life and thinking through, oh, this is what this looks like. You know, you go, and I I had a permanent offer at that time for a law firm for when I graduated. And I was like, oh, you go to this firm, you make, this money at a certain point and here's your life, but it's very frenetic and you're always working and you're miss, you know, I know what that looks like already. I can look at a whole bunch of examples and I don't want to take a path that doesn't look happy. It doesn't make me feel joy. And so I asked myself a very important question. If that's not going to make you happy, what will mm-hmm. I, and I never asked myself that just with real agency, Like, I am going to ask myself this, and it is going to be meaningful to me. What do you want? What will make you happy? And so sitting there and giving myself permission to dream, basically, I started to envision a life for myself. And what would I was naming? What would make me happy? And at that time, I wanted to be at a small record company. I didn't want to be in New York or LA. I wouldn't be in a smaller market city. And I just, it unfolded for me. And so that was a big moment of, of that. And lo and behold, that's what wound up happening. Uh, you know, a couple of things happened, but I met someone who was starting a record company, wound up getting a job with them through um, a few different. That's another for a different day. That's a long story. But <laughs> I wound up because I had dreamed of it and allowed myself to dream of it. I was able to recognize it when the opportunity presented itself. And it and get and say yes to the alternative path that it took my life down basically, and so there just been some other decision point moments where I knew I was going to have to do something and make a decision at that time that was counter to what was safe and what was established, but what was safe and what was established I knew at that decision time was not going to bring me joy and was not going to make me feel fulfilled. So I I was able to make that alternative choice into kind of a little bit of the unknown and the darkness. So I wound up leaving, you know, the record company that I was working at. I had a fabulous executive position and decided I was leaving because I I'd been there four years and it was time for something new. And that's how I wanted to work with Lady Gaga. And then I had uh, I was there for a year. Started my own company after that. And wound up having this opportunity to work with Prince. And I didn't even know that that was what was being presented to me at the time. But <laughs> something told, told me to say yes when I almost said no. And, uh, uh, and then you know, it wound up being that. And um, it was definitely a journey into the unknown. And I had no idea <laughs> how they all came together, but it was something that I had dreamed of. If I had, if you had asked me before that, who's the one artist you'd want to work with or learn from, I would have said Prince. And I would have told you, but I know that's impossible, but that's <laughs> my dream. And then all of a sudden it happened. Okay.
0: You have to give us one Prince story.
1: Um, one Prince story. Uh, Okay. Well, There was a time (laughs) I traveled with him when he had the view and uh, we, so I'd never been on a private plane before. And he's like, well, we're going to go to New York. I was in Minnesota. I was in Minneapolis and he said, okay, well we're doing the view, you know, and he's spoken. We not, I, so he's Mm -hmm. like, we want you to come (laughs) to New York. It's really i but he said we so just that's what probably would sound confusing if i didn't qualify that Mm -hmm. so um so i was like okay so this is like a sunday you know we went the rest of the team is manager and i went to get um, something to eat and you know the, the hours are passing and uh and so eventually it's like nine, 9 thirty. I'm like, what's going on? I didn't know. I was like, what flight is going to New York at like 9:30 at night? Like, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, mm-hmm. what is this? So we wind up, um, we go to get him, we're headed for the airport. Now it's like almost 10 o'clock, I think, or I don't even know. And we we wind up uh going to pass the normal terminal and we're on this flight. We get out, we go up to this plane. And I'm sitting in a plane. It's just me, him and his manager and the door. Literally, he walks in the door closes behind him on the plane and like send a quick message to my mom. Like, uh, I'm on the plane with Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows I'm here, (laughs) but we're headed to New York. And so, somebody needs to know I'm like, I'm up here. But uh, but anyway, Fast forward, we, we do New York and we sneak in the, we were, I would say the Risk carlton we sneak in through the lobby, no security, nobody knows, nobody saw that, you know, the elevator's there. We oh, wow. brush through the lobby and, and I'm happy. Hand- in my room key and whisked up directly on the elevator elevator makes no stops of course but you know i was like i remember seeing people sitting in the lobby of the ritz krauts when we walked in i'm like nobody realized. <laughs> i just walked in <laughs> i'm like part of the entourage of this and i'm like oh my god but people anyway couldn't,
0: people couldn't feel the energy shift
1: <laughs> i i would i would have thought i was like nobody knows this, this is happening like oh my gosh you know, so it was I I had no idea it was like that. This is you know, this was how things go. So it was a real shift of my world on its axis. But anyway, when we were going back, so we were coming back late uh, to Minneapolis from New York and we were going to Chicago maybe the next day. So now it's like midnight. We land in Minnesota and we're in the car and he's like, well, you know, I really wanted to do a performance before we go to uh, Chicago. And now it's like it's eleven o'clock at night in Minneapolis, and like, oh, I was like, yeah, it would be, oh, it's, yeah, it would be nice if we could have. That's what I think I said. <laughs> he didn't say anything to me. He just like so there. He has like sunglasses on. He didn't say anything. So we get back to Paisley, and uh, he still didn't say anything to me. Like whatever. And so uh, the band's like packing up because they've been in rehearsals, and I'm like, oh, everybody's leaving. You know, I thought whatever, and uh, and the women of the band they're you know, when they're in the restroom, like putting on makeup, I'm like, I thought everybody was going back to the hotel, you know, that everybody stayed in, um, I think it's an old country inn is what it was called mm-hmm. in Chanhassen, um down the road from people that visit Paisley. They'll know that that place <laughs> 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 and, the, and the breakfast buffet or like whatever it's their breakfast. There's like everybody stayed in the old country inn. <laughs> so I thought we was going back to the hotel. And, uh, and they're putting on makeup, I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, oh, and then it, it dawned on me like, oh sh- my God, we're about to do a show. <laughs> Where are we about to do a show? Cause I'm like, they're packing up, they're not doing the soundstage at Paisley. So I hop in a car with his manager. I was like, oh, let's like, let's take a ride, we're gonna go downtown. So <laughs> we wind up at First Avenue, the band takes the stage. We get there like five minutes later, the band actually takes the stage. And then I find myself sitting at like a two top with Prince. Prince is sitting next to me. He's like, yeah. So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything until that moment. I was just like, oh, it's great. You know and I felt? I felt silly because I was like, here I am thinking that there's things that are impossible. And I'm like, I'm rolling with Prince. There's nothing that's impossible. Right. And so he was like always trying to instill that. Like I'd say something like and then he would just be like, OK, so so now what? You know, and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, you know, anything's possible. But it did shift my my thinking, like you know. So i I, I don't think in terms of impossible in the same way. And, and so, those were some really good lessons. Um, and it, it was really a blessing to be able to spend time in his in his space like that.
0: So we can honestly say, Prince unlocked your black girl magic.
1: <laughs> and yes, I will. I will. I will say that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I had no idea that I was going to write a book like this or that I was even going down this path. He he must have known in some way, which I find, you know, I wish I, now I wish I had, could have that conversation because mm. I had no idea why we would have some of the conversations we were having or why he would be trying to clearly instill some of the lessons I he was trying to instill. I'm like, I'm I'm a corporate person, you know, I'm a I'm a business person. Like right. I, you know, I'm not going down this path of artistry. So why are we talking about this? And I never understood. And then all of a sudden these things unfolded. And I was just like, could he see the future?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think he created the future. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I'm I'm sitting over here trying not to laugh out loud, but I'm I'm holding (laughs) all of my emotions in because, you know, with all of us, especially Generation X, he's had such a big impact on our life. And what a beautiful experience to be able to work with him on such a close level. And and you talk that into existence. So congratulations on understanding your magic,
1: even when you didn't. Thank you. Yes. Yes, we do have that magic within us.
0: So you are on your way to part three of the trilogy. Mm -hmm. When can we expect that?
1: Early 2023. So we're targeting February 2023. And your book deal is for four
0: books. Will the fourth book be a memoir and include more print stories?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we haven't gotten there. The fourth book—this has been the this has been coming up over and over about the the memoir concept. So I think that's probably going to happen uh, soon. So uh, yes, let's let's put that in the universe. We will there will be a memoir, but the fourth book is not scheduled to be that. The fourth book is fiction. And it is a story, it's a swap story. Uh, a black woman from Chicago is running from reality. She her she has a, a recently ended engagement just before the holidays and doesn't want to tell her family. So she's got to escape the holidays. And it, there's a woman, uh, a white woman, very sheltered, a uh, younger artist who's been ensconced in Malibu. Uh, and she's very much down on her luck and she, because of other circumstances, has to rent her house out. So that house becomes the escape for our our friend in Chicago, and mm-hmm. uh, the woman in Malibu goes and spends the holidays with her family. <laughs> <laughs> and it just becomes a, a very uh, interesting kind of fish out of water story for both of them, figuratively and literally, because. Um, our our friends from Chicago winds up uh, surfing. So there's a there's black girl surfing in this story. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, and all kinds of adventures for both of them. That's just been such a joy to conceptualize. So I'm excited for that book. It's a completely it's it's outside of the black girls universe, um, but there's there's still black girl magic in the story, and uh, I guess some white girl magic too, and <laughs>
0: <laughs> just girl power
1: magic. Okay. <laughs> All kinds of magic and, and, and some fish out of water magic and some, and some surfing magic. So uh, I'm really excited for that fourth book and um, yeah, more to come, but, and, and evidently there's a memoir on the way. Cause this just keeps popping up. So I'm paying attention. So that'll be
0: book number six. <laughs> and then after that will be the movies. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: That's, that is in the works too. That is, that is in the works too. So I'm really excited for that. I am so excited about your journey and
0: I'm so happy that you came to share your world with us. How can our tribe find you across the interwebs?
1: The interwebs. I am most (laughs) frequently on Instagram, Jane Allen writes, J A Y N E A L L E N writes. And uh, I also have a mailing list. So my website's janeallen.com. You can sign up for my mailing list there. I do not send out frequent emails. I need to send more emails. People are like, can you please let me know about your events? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I posted on Instagram. I think, it's, oh, yeah, like, I think okay. it's time
0: for us to force the world to get into Gen X world. We don't tell everything.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, I know. I know. I know. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I need to send more emails. So people just know if they are selling from my email list, I'm actually going to send you too few emails. But yes, we're, we're working on that. Uh, and so those are those are the best places to find me. I'm Jane Allen said on Twitter, but I, I just rarely tweet. So I'm not there often, but, and but I think between those two places, JaneAllen.com. So between my website and Instagram, we will be linked.
0: <laughs> well, <that's- laughs> and my books and my books. And, of oh, of course. Of course. You want to get the trilogies. Uh, the first two parts start with part one. Don't start in the middle like I did, <laughs> because I feel like a lot of my questions would have been answered if I started in part one. Um, but well, I do now think, you get to go back and read yes. them. I think
1: some people who started with book two are happy to find out there's a book one. So there's yes. more to read. And then there will be a book three. So,
0: But it's so beautifully written that it does stand on its own. But uh, so I can't wait to get to part three. And I just really want to thank you for your time, for sharing your hearts, being so open with us. And I look forward to our next conversation. You are welcome here anytime. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Black Women Amplified podcast. And of course, you can find us on Instagram as well as anywhere that you hear your podcasts, preferably Apple or Good Pods. Thank you again, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you the next time. Love and light. I'm Monica Wisdom, and I am out. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining.